All right. We didn't have it on the screen. I noticed with that song, you didn't need a lot of prompting. You sang right along with it because we knew that one very well, didn't we? And we do. All right. Take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 14. Tonight we come to the part of the creed that talks about, I believe, in the Holy Spirit. Now, it's been a while since we've been in the Apostles' Creed, and I hope you remember a little bit about what we have talked about. We're coming down to the very end. Matter of fact, probably only, maybe only two more sermons, maybe three uh, in this series before we close it out. Uh, but I want you to remember something very important about this creed, and that is that it is Trinitarian in nature. Uh, we believe in, in the Trinity. We believe that, uh, that the Scripture presents God as a triune God, three persons, one God, uh, not, a, not three gods and, and somehow just sort of by the same name, but, but one God manifested in three persons. And, and that's what the creed does. Uh, many people, some break it down in three paragraphs, some break it down in 12 different uh, statements. Uh, but any way you do it, the, 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 the idea is that it begins with God the Father. I believe in God the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. A very straightforward statement about God. He is the Almighty One. We talked about that in depth months ago. And, and then we talked about how he's the maker, the creator. We talked about that in a totally separate sermon from that. Then on the, the very next line of the creed, he, he, they moved to Jesus Christ in this discussion. Not only do I believe in God the Father, but I also believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried. He descended into hell, and the third day he arose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. And that's where we've gotten to. It's talked about Christ in his role as redeemer, Christ in his role as, as, uh, as judge, Christ as his, his role as the second, uh, second person of the Godhead, second uh, person in that Godhead trinity. Then it comes to, to the eighth statement, if you're looking at it by statements, or the third paragraph, if you're looking at it that way. And the simple statement is made, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Now, if you were carefully listening, and I know you were, the Holy Spirit has already been mentioned in this creed. Uh, mentioned back up on the third line. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. That is, Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was not only uh, this, this third person of the Godhead, but, but the Holy Spirit was actively involved in the conception of Jesus Christ in the Virgin Mary. Uh, a miraculous thing, something that biologically and naturally we cannot understand, we cannot explain, but something that the Scripture indicates is an absolute truth. The Holy Spirit came upon Mary, she conceived and she bore a son. So the Holy Spirit is not new to the creed at this point, but it is this point that the, the Apostles' Creed, and the writers of the Apostles' Creed said, and not only do I believe in God the Father, not only do I believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, but I also believe in the Holy Spirit. Our question tonight is, what does that mean? What does it mean that I believe in the Holy Spirit? Who is this 
Holy Spirit? What is his role? What is his ministry as presented in God's word? And there's no better place to start than in Jesus' statement about it in John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17. There are other references we'll refer to tonight in talking about the Holy Spirit, but this is a, a good starting point. Jesus is preparing his disciples for his death. He is preparing them for Calvary, something they do not want to hear about, something they do not want to see, something they don't even want to think about, the fact that, that Jesus is going to have to die. I mean, Peter's even going to stand up and say, Lord, before they can get to you and you die, they'll have to kill me first. They'll have to go through me. And, of course, Peter didn't know what he was talking about, as Peter was wont to do on so many occasions, much like you and me. We talk first, think later, and that's kind of what he was doing. But Jesus was saying, and Jesus even said to him, Peter, get behind me, Satan. I mean, he called his disciple, his, the, the leader of the disciples, called him Satan because he was speaking Satan's idea, Satan's desires, not the, not the plan of God and not the purpose of God. So Jesus is preparing them, and, and he's beginning to try to comfort them. And, and he starts out in verse 14, uh, uh, chapter 14, verse 1. He says, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. He begins with a comforting thing. And then in verses 16 and 17, he says, I will ask of the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be with you. Jesus says, when I'm gone, and he's talking about physically here, when I have gone to the cross, died on the cross, been buried three days, raised from the dead, and then ascended into heaven, a bodily ascension into heaven of our Lord, when I am gone from you, I'm going to ask the Father, and the Father will send you another helper. The word helper there is the word paraclete, the, the word comforter, the word counselor. There are any number of words that you can put in there. New American Standard happens to say, I'm going to have him send you another helper. But the Greek word is paraclete, which literally means I'm going to have the Father send you one who will come alongside you, who will help bear your burden, who will encourage you in difficult times. I'm going to ask the Father, and he's going to send to you, send to you a very special person of the Godhead, a very special ministry that will be with you and he will abide in you and he will be with you forever, forever. The Holy Spirit will never depart from us. Now, Jesus had said in, in Matthew chapter 28, if you remember, with the, with the Great Commission, he said, I'm, I'm, uh, all authority has been granted to me in heaven and earth and Go into all the world and make disciples of all men, nations everywhere, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I'm with you always, even until the end of the age, even until the end of time. So Jesus, in saying, I will be with you always, and Jesus, in saying, I will have, ask the Father, and he will send a helper who will be with you always, is, is sort of using this, this Trinitarian model to show us that Jesus, while it may appear he leaves and uh, departs from this earth, has not really fully departed because he's sending, uh, he's sending the Holy Spirit who will abide and who will watch over us. But what is the ministry of the Holy Spirit? What is his purpose? There's several that I want you to see tonight. 
and, and we'll get it from this and from others. The one thing that this is showing clearly here is that the Spirit shows us Jesus through the gospel. Now understand that that is the Holy Spirit that makes Jesus a reality to us through the gospel message. It's not the gospel message that we simply say, okay, I've reasoned this out, I've thought it through, I've added up 2 plus 2 and it equals 4, and because of that I will believe. No, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth, it says in verse 17. He is, so by that he is a teacher, he is an instructor, and he comes to teach us through the gospel message that, who Jesus is. It's the Holy Spirit, we'll see in a minute, who unites us to him by faith, unites us to Christ. And it's the Holy Spirit that indwells us uh, from within to change us and to, uh, to, to grow us into Christ's likeness. So the Holy Spirit is a teacher. He's an indweller. He's an empowerer. He is a uniter of us with Christ. And he is a changer for your, your life and my life. You, you know, a lot of people today, when they hear the, even the word, the Holy Spirit, uh, they they kind of shy away from it, especially Baptists. I mean, you know, we don't like to talk about the Holy Spirit. I mean, Holy Spirit's those Pentecostals and those uh, uh, those other groups, you know, charismatic groups. They they dwell on the Holy Spirit. We like Jesus. Uh, there are others, the Episcopals. They like God the Father. So God the Father belongs to the Episcopals and maybe the Presbyterians, and Jesus belongs to us, and the Holy Spirit belongs belongs to those Pentecostals. Well, nothing could be further from the truth. And we cannot have just a, an emphasis on one person, the Godhead, and really understand what God is like. There is a necessity to understand who God is in a Trinitarian nature. Now, I realize we, we kind of shy away from it because of some of the excesses we see, some of the abuses of it that we see maybe on television, and where there's, uh, you know, you, you have the, the, the whole concept of the Benny Hinn slaying people in the spirit. And, and we say, oh, man, I don't want to fall on my back on the floor, you know. And, and so we don't want any part of that. Well, need I say to you that nowhere in the scripture do I find slaying in the spirit. Uh, that's a, that's a, a emotional and a, and a psychosomatic concept that has risen up in some circles. But it's important to understand the ministry of the Holy Spirit and understand that if you're a Christian, the Spirit dwells with you, dwells in you, and he is the one that is empowering you to be and do what God has called you to be and do. First, we have to realize that the, the Spirit ministered to the Son throughout his earthly ministry. From the very moment as the creed says, when he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit ministered to Jesus when he was in the wilderness, when he was, when he was fasting there for 40 days. It was the Spirit that drove him into the wilderness for that time, and it was the Spirit who cared for him and watched over him and protected him. He ministered to Jesus throughout his earthly life. And now the Holy Spirit is, is Jesus' agent, if you will, uh, I remember somebody, I can't remember who it was, wrote a, wrote a book on the Holy Spirit several years ago, and, and, and they entitled it, Jesus' Secret Agent. Well, I don't want him to be a secret. Uh, he is Jesus' agent. He's carrying out the work of, the, the, of Jesus. In other words, that's what he's talking about here when he says, the Father will send a helper. This Spirit will be the paraclete. He'll be a helper to you. Uh, he'll support you, encourage you, and be your advocate in, in this life. So the Spirit, it's important that we understand who he is 
and what he does. First of all, as I've already alluded to, I want us to understand that first and foremost, the Spirit is a witness and is a teacher. He witnesses to Christ. It's clear in Scripture that the Holy Spirit's purpose is to point to Christ and not to himself. He won't exalt himself. He won't draw attention to himself. He draws attention to the Lord Jesus Christ and points us to him. He convinces us that the Jesus of the Gospels is the New Testament Christ, we would call it, that he really exists and that he is for us and for our salvation. In other words, the Holy Spirit opens our eyes, our spiritual eyes, to be able to see who Christ really is. I mean, have you ever wondered why it is that there are hundreds of people around you every day that that don't have a clue who Christ is? They don't have a clue who Jesus is, and in many cases, it surely appears they couldn't care less. Is it because you were smarter than them, and you were able to figure this thing out, two plus two equals four, and so consequently, you are, you're smarter than them, you're better than them, and you figured it out? No. The Scripture says it's because the Spirit has worked in your life and convinced you that Jesus is who he said he was, that he really exists, and he exists for our salvation. He exists to bring us to faith in Christ. Not only that, but as witness and teacher, he assures us that as believers, we are God's children and heirs with Christ. Paul made that statement several different places, but Romans Chapter 8 is one of them. In in verse 16 and following, he says, And the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit, big, big S spirit, the Holy Spirit, little S spirit, our spirit. The Holy Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Paul says there, I want you to understand that the Spirit works in your life as a witness that you belong to Christ, that you're his. The Spirit will will fight the demonic desire, Satan's desire to get you to doubt that you belong to him, and will say to you internally by his word and by his Holy Spirit, you belong to Christ. You are his. The Holy Spirit himself testifies, bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So, so he convinces us that Jesus is who he says he was, and, and he assures us that we are believers. If you look in Ephesians chapter 1, one of my favorite statements about the Holy Spirit in all of Scripture that I, I love to read is in chapter 1 of Ephesians, verses 13 and 14. Here the Apostle Paul is talking about the glory of of Christ's redemption and the glory of God's election and and the glory of God bringing a people together to to conform us to the image of Christ. And in verses uh, 13 and 14, it says, In him, that is in Christ, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, now listen to this, You were sealed in him, sealed in Christ with the Holy Spirit of promise who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession 
to the praise of his glory. Paul is saying there, he assures you, he, he seals you, he protects you. He, he is given as a, as a down payment. The word there that, that is used is given as a pledge of our inheritance is literally is given as a down payment. The Holy Spirit is given to you by the Father to say, this is just a taste of what heaven's going to be like. This is just a taste of what it's going to be like to walk with him for all of eternity. The Holy Spirit is your pledge. The Holy Spirit is your seal. He assures you and he protects you and he guards you to show you that you are God's children and heirs with Christ of all that God is. And then we also know that he moves, he moves us to bear witness to Christ to whom his witness led us to know. He moves in us for us to bear witness to Christ. You remember, our, I'm sure you do, I'm sure you don't forget any sermons I preach, but for the first year and a half or two years we were here on Sunday nights, we studied the book of Acts. And one of the, one of the things that we saw in the book of Acts so clearly was that every time you see the word and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they proclaimed the gospel. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and they proclaimed Christ. You, you see, that's the whole idea, this idea of the filling of the Holy Spirit. We are filled and the Spirit moves us to bear witness to Christ, to share the gospel, to tell people about the Christ to whom we were introduced by the Holy Spirit and his work within our life. So, so this idea of the Spirit as witness and teacher is a very important part of his ministry. There's another dimension of his ministry that is also important, and that is the Spirit gives to every Christian, every Christian, uh, spiritual gifts, capacities, if you will, to express Christ in serving God and man so that, so that every, min every member ministry in the church, which is Christ's body, may become a reality. If you look in, in 1 Corinthians when Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, who had their own share of problems. But the whole, uh, the whole uh, context of, of chapters 12, 13, and 14, we, make, we pull 13 out and say that's the love chapter. But, but the truth of the matter is, chapter 13 is talking about spiritual gifts and spiritual fruit just as much as 12 and 14 are. Love is indeed the subject there, but it's showing that gifts are to be exercised in the context of love within the body. But one of the ministries of the Spirit is to give spiritual gifts to those who are His. If you look in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, just verses 4 through 7. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. And there are varieties of effects or manifestations, but the same God who works all things in all persons, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now, if you're just reading those verses for the first time, is there anything that really jumps out at you in talking about these spiritual gifts and spiritual ministries and spiritual manifestations? I'm open to suggestions. Variety? Yeah. Huh? Give to all who believe, yeah. There's one other thing I'm looking for here. The common good, it's for the common good of the body, absolutely, but that's not it. 
Manifestation, same spirit. Manifestation of the spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects or manifestations, but the same God who works all things in all persons. What? Trinitarian, yeah. Ministry of the Holy Spirit never separates itself from a full understanding of the Trinitarian nature of God. And even spiritual gifts, it's the, it's the Spirit who grants gifts and gives gifts and equips us to serve, but it's God and the Son and the Spirit who are still involved in that whole process. And understand, every believer... I talked to somebody not long ago that said, well, you know, I just don't think God's given me a spiritual gift. You know what my response to them was? Then God's a liar. And they said, oh, no, no, God's not a liar. God always tells the truth. I said, well, God said he gave every Christian, every believer, a spiritual gift to minister in the body for the common good. Not super Christians, not individuals that he likes better than others, but every single believer is given a spiritual gift to minister. Now, granted, many of us have not taken time to pray and study and think and, and, and practice and, 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 and seek to know what it is. We've just been content to sit around and say, okay, I'll just be in church. But I've used the analogy before of Beth playing the piano. Beth is an outstanding pianist. But had she one day learned that she had a gift for playing the piano and said, whoop, I've got the gift. I don't ever have to practice again. She would not be the pianist she is today. And, and in spiritual gifts, we discover what those gifts are, but, but we also have to develop those. We have, to, we have to practice those. We have to minister in light of those. And God grants us growth, even as the Holy Spirit gives us gifts. Paul in Ephesians, again, if you, if you look there in Ephesians chapter 4, Verses 11 through 16, it's, it's, not as, it's more talking about ministries there, but it is related to giftedness. But in chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, it says, And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastor teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God and to a mature man and to the measure of the statue which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result of that, we will no longer be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all, respect, all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. That's what the Spirit is doing in equipping us. It's so you have a ministry. We were talking about this, or we've talked about this before, that if we don't list the pastors on the bulletin as ministers. Some churches list them as ministers, and, and churches get the idea, well, there are our ministers in this church right there. We're not ministers. Well, we are ministers, but we're not the only ministers. We are pastors with a specific calling that Paul says in Ephesians 4 is to equip you, the saints, 
being every believer, those who have been sanctified, set apart, redeemed by the blood of Christ, that, that we are to equip the saints, all believers, for the work of, the word service is in New American Standard, uh, the literal word there is for the work of ministry. We are all ministers of the gospel. All called as ministers of the gospel to exercise our spiritual gifts and to build up the body by encouraging one another and by strengthening one another by using the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given us. So, so when I say as a Christian, I believe in the Holy Spirit, when I make that affirmation from the Apostles' Creed, I believe in the Holy Spirit, there, there are several things that I should be meaning. First of all, we mean that I believe personal fellowship across space and time, across the universe, personal fellowship with the living Christ, the New Testament, is a reality which through the Spirit I have been brought to. Personal fellowship with Christ is a reality, and it's the Spirit who is the instrument that has brought me to that. Secondly, when I say that I believe in the Holy Spirit, I, I'm saying that I am open to being led by the Spirit who now indwells me and being led by the Spirit into Christian knowledge, obedience, and ministry. And I expect to be so led every day because that's his purpose in my life if I'm a believer. And third, when I say that I believe in the Holy Spirit, I'm saying that I, I honor him as the author of my assurance that I am a son of God and an heir with Christ. And, and, and I, I would say it is absolutely a glorious thing to say, I believe in the Holy Spirit. He is the teacher. He is the one who points to Christ. He is the one who equips us. He is the one who empowers us for ministry and for service and for us to bear a witness. We can't bear it in our own strength. Try to witness to somebody in your own strength, you'll, you'll be twisted around and, and all messed up. But when you seek to witness in the power of the Holy Spirit, you're allowing his ministry to be a reality in your life as you submit to him on a daily basis. I believe in the Holy Spirit. And I know Jeff does too. Because <laughs> he texted me and told me. And I hope you do too. Because it's by the Holy Spirit that we live and we walk and we obey. And I would say there is no other way except by him. Let's pray together. Father, again tonight, we, we rejoice in you. We thank you, Father, for this time of, to worship and sing and praise you and to think about your Holy Spirit. Lord, may we walk in him and by his empowerment. For this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.